Charles Talleyrand is a name that's probably not familiar to you unless you are a, a real history nerd. But Charles Talleyrand was, he was actually a Roman Catholic bishop in the late 1700s. Uh, he rose to political prominence during the French Revolution. He, he got himself excommunicated by the Pope during the French Revolution, probably a good decision by the Pope, since uh, Talleyrand was an incredibly immoral, dishonest, and devious man, by all accounts. That's probably why he was such a good politician. Those two things probably were related. But he became, Talleyrand became the, the prime minister of France. And the French Revolution really was founded on humanism. You know what humanism is? Humanism or secular humanism is the idea that we humans really don't need a God. Humanism is the idea we can achieve um, enlightenment. We can achieve self-actualization um, and even morality apart from God. And, and the French Revolution really was about those ideals. So much so that there were some men in France around 1800 who decided to start a new religion. They wanted to improve upon Christianity because the ideals of Christianity and humanism do not mix. They're opposite. Humanism says we don't need God. Christianity says our greatest need is God. So these guys... They decided, and this is absolutely true, it seems weird, but they'd set out to start a new religion. And strangely, they had a hard time getting their new religion off the ground. In France, it would be a difficult thing to do to, get, to start a new religion and get people to sort of buy it. So they went to Charles Talleyrand. Like, this is a guy that used to be a bishop in the Catholic Church. He should have some religious ideas. And they just asked him, what do you think we should do to get this religion off the ground. And Talleyrand was stumped. And he thought, and finally he said this to him, there is one thing you might try. I suggest you get yourself crucified and then rise again on the third day. You see, even though Charles Talleyrand was not a Christian, he knew this. He knew why Christianity got off the ground when it got off the ground. He knew the reason Christianity started from almost no one. Like when Jesus died, I'm not sure there were any followers left, really. I guess Joseph of Arimathea, there were a few people at the foot of the cross. But within a couple of decades... Christianity is blowing up everywhere. Why? Charles Talleyrand knew why. Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. He was crucified at the urging of the Jews, but by the hand of the Romans. And there's enough evidence for people to believe that he rose from the dead to prove his claims true. Last week, as we are really coming to the closing paragraph of the book of Matthew. Last week, we were answering this question about the resurrection. 
is the resurrection really that important to Christianity? Do I have to believe Jesus literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead? The answer to that's yes. <laughs> it's that important. Christianity doesn't happen without the resurrection. But today, we want to answer this question. Like, can I believe it? If it's that important to this faith of ours, like, can I actually really believe that Jesus really rose from the dead? It does seem kind of far-fetched. But I think we can. I don't think you have to, like, hang your brain up with your coat when you come in here in order to believe in the resurrection. In fact, I'm not only am I convinced, which I am, I'm convinced that Jesus actually literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead and walked out of that tomb he was buried in. I, I literally 100% believe it. But I not only believe that, I'm convinced that if anyone will actually examine the evidence for that occurring, I think anyone can be convinced Jesus rose from the dead. I think the, the evidence is that compelling. And so that's what we want to look at this morning. Did the resurrection really happen? Can I believe it? Is there some good logical evidence for the resurrection? There is. The main barriers to people believing this evidence is not the lack of evidence. It's not. The main reason people don't believe the evidence is they won't examine the evidence. Why? Two reasons. One, we have still a secular humanist bias just in our culture in the West that says this, everything has to have a scientific explanation. That's a bias we carry around with us in our culture. If something can't be explained scientifically, I really don't want any part of it. And I'll be the first one to tell you the resurrection of Jesus Christ does not have a scientific explanation. It has a miraculous explanation. And a miracle is just something that cannot be explained with scientific evidence. So if you're unwilling to believe in anything that doesn't have a scientific explanation, you're not going to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But the evidence is not miraculous. The evidence is just logical and just plain. And I believe the evidence points to the miracle. The only other reason people won't examine with an open mind and an open heart the evidence that points to the resurrection is this. Somewhere in our hearts and our spirits, we know if I examine that evidence and it is true, then I am accountable to the God behind it. And that's someplace many, many people have no interest in being, is accountable to a God that's out there somewhere that I will answer to one day. But for this morning, we're going to try to answer this question. Did the resurrection really happen? Is there logical evidence to support it? Evidence for the resurrection really can be, we can look internally in the Bible. We can look externally outside the Bible. We're going to do some of each of those today. We're going to start with our scripture reading today, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. 
Click one time for me there, Jeff. Would you? I should be good now. Thank you. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15, where we pick up. Jesus has been crucified. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw, or last week, excuse me, some women came, and the, the stone had been rolled away. There was an angel on top of that stone. The, the Roman soldiers sent to guard that tomb got so scared, they passed out. In the meantime, before today's passage opens, they have come to... And there's no body. The, the tomb is open. There's no body. What do they do now? That is today's story. Matthew 28, verses 11 through 15. Now, while they, this is the, that is the women who are on their way to tell the disciples what they are supposed to tell them, go to Galilee. The risen Jesus will meet you there. While those women were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. Stone open, angel on the stone, body's gone. Verse 12, and when the religious leaders had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to these soldiers, and they said, you are to say, so here's your story, Jesus' disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep, and if this should make it to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And the soldiers took the money, and they did as they had been instructed, and this story was widely spread among the Jews and still is to this day. By the time Matthew wrote his gospel, I think he's telling us what he has heard is the best non-miraculous explanation of what happened to Jesus' body. Wherever Matthew lived, wherever Matthew wrote, they were dealing with this question. What happened to Jesus' body? That's the original question of Christianity. Where does body go? By all accounts, Jesus was a real person. You don't have to be a Christian to believe that. Atheists believe that. Muslims believe that. Everybody believes that. He was executed by the Romans. Everyone believes that. He was buried. Everyone believes that. And his body didn't stay where it was buried. Everyone believes that. Here's why. The quickest way to end Christianity would have just been to produce the dead body of Jesus. If you have a dead body, everything's a lie. That was last week's sermon. Why is the resurrection so important to Christianity? Well, it's just stated over and over and over and over and over in both Testaments. If it didn't happen, you can't believe any of it. That's why Paul said, if the resurrection isn't real, Christians are to be pitied above all other people. Something happened to Jesus' body. There were so many enemies of Christianity, all that would have taken to cut Christianity off of the knees is produce the dead body of Jesus. It went somewhere. And we'll see this morning that the, this very, very early, very quickly, immediately, these stories of Jesus' resurrection began being spread. What happened to his body? Here's one idea. Jesus' disciples came and stole his body. That's what Matthew tells us about here. Matthew tells us, he tells us this story in a way where according to Matthew, nobody believes that's the truth. The religious leaders don't believe disciples stole the body. The disciples don't believe the disciples stole the body. The soldiers don't believe the disciples stole the body. But the religious leaders bribe the soldiers to make that their story. Now, 
I want to speak to the more skeptical among us. You may be here this morning and you may not just take at face value that this book holds the inerrant inspired word of God. And if it's in here, I'm going to believe it. I do, but you may not. You might think Matthew's the liar. Matthew is just trying to explain away the leading theory of what happened to Jesus's body. And he's doing it in a way where he's not really telling the truth. I want you to know this explanation for what happened to Jesus is too hard to believe. It's harder for me to believe than that he rose from the dead. It really is. Here's why. First, these soldiers that were placed outside of Jesus' tomb, their job, they were posted there under Roman authority, but at the urging of the religious leaders, their job is to make sure nobody gets in or out of that tomb, right? It's their job. They've failed at that job. They come to, stone is rolled away, tomb is open, body's gone. Now what do we do? We're in real trouble. They get nervous. They don't want to go up their chain of command. So they go to the civilian authority that they were posted under, the the Jewish leaders. The Jewish leaders tell them, here's what you say. We were asleep. The disciples stole the body while we were asleep. Can you believe that? Could you believe that? I don't think you can. Both sides of this cannot be true. Here's what I mean. I don't think these guys could sleep through what it would have taken to roll that stone away and steal the body. And that's hard for me to believe, but I've heard this. Have you heard this? These soldiers, they thought this was terrible duty. They They took some booze out there with them. They were probably so drunk, they were passed out, and that's how they were able to sleep through this body snatching perpetrated by the disciples. I could believe that. But here's the problem. Here's, what, here's how both sides of this can be true. They cannot be so asleep that they never woke up and yet be able to point out who stole the body, right? If they're so passed out they couldn't wake up, they would have no idea the disciples stole the body. Does that make sense? And if they did wake up, why wouldn't they stop them? They're armed Roman soldiers. How do you fight off armed Roman soldiers while you're carrying a dead guy? That would be difficult. So if nothing else, the best these soldiers would be able to do is say, we don't know. If they know it's the disciples, they would have done something to stop them, it seems to me. So I can't be convinced that that by these soldiers saying the disciples stole the body. So let's go to the other side of that argument. There's more evidence to suggest the disciples couldn't have been the ones to do this. Besides the fact they would have had to fight through Roman guards to do it, I would ask this, what motivation would the disciples have had to steal Jesus' body? Why would they have been motivated to steal the body of Jesus? There's only one reason that I can think of They wanted so badly to not be seen as being wrong. That they were willing to steal his body and make up this lie that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, raise your hand if you like to be wrong. See, nobody. Right? Raise your hand if the person you're sitting by is wrong all the time. Don't do that. Don't do that. 
Nobody wants to be wrong. So the idea is this. The disciples, they don't want everybody looking at them for the rest of their life saying, there goes that, that guy that was called Peter. And he thought Jesus was the Christ. What an idiot. They don't want to live with that. So they made up this story. They stole Jesus' body, got away with it, and made up this story that he rose from the dead. Here's the problem with that theory. I know today people can get rich and famous off of what passes as Christianity, right? Happens all the time. Turn on, is it TBN? Is that the name of that? The the Christian channel, right? The original Christians got nothing good out of being the original Christians. We may think of them fondly now. But if what they were doing was lying to start this religion, what that got them was not wealth, fame, popularity. It got them imprisonment, beatings, exile, execution. It got them and their families excommunicated from their communities. It got them uh, unable to do business. People will lie for profit. People will lie to get themselves out of trouble. People will lie to save their lives. But no one lies for the opposite of that. No one lies so that bad things will happen to me just so I can say, I wasn't wrong. The other main evidence from inside the Bible that I think is convincing for the resurrection of Jesus is the sheer number of eyewitnesses and the number of eyewitness events. How many of you have ever heard that uh, the resurrection of Jesus is some, some kind of mass hallucination brought on by grief Uh, despair. One thing that makes that really, really, really hard to believe is according to the Bible, the resurrection of didn't just, Jesus didn't just appear one time. He appeared inside. He appeared outside. He appeared at the tomb. He appeared on this road. He appeared on that road. He ate with people. He talked with people. Like hallucinations don't happen the same way to different people in different places. This wasn't some sort of carbon monoxide leak. Also, who are the original witnesses, the very first witnesses that Jesus had risen from the dead? What kind of people were they? They were women. Here's why that's significant. If this story was just being made up hundreds of years later, as the History Channel might tell you, and made up by sort of different authors in different places at different times, collecting these legends. No one would make up a story, and sorry ladies, don't be offended, let me explain, but nobody would make up this story and have women be the key witnesses at the beginning of this story. Because in first century Near Eastern culture, in fact, in pretty much every culture until very modern times, the word of women wouldn't stand anywhere. They couldn't testify. It wasn't illegal. 
What one woman is at the center of all of those original stories? What's her name? Who would you say is the most important early witness to the resurrection according to the Gospels? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene not only was a woman, which was a strike against her in that culture, but Luke tells us she had been demonized. And even if you don't go in for all of that demonization, being possessed, and you don't believe any of that stuff, at the very least you would say something was wrong with this, with this woman that made people think she had demons living inside of her. You know what we call that? Being crazy. So if this story was made up, somebody was making up this story, and we're going to write, we're going to make this story really believable, and we're going to have our key early witness be a crazy woman? Nobody would improve on that story? That makes no sense. The original witnesses are women, including Mary Magdalene, not because it was the most believable, because that's the way it happened. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus met these two disciples on this road. He appeared inside to the disciples. He appeared outside on the, uh, on the shore of a lake. And then the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he, he writes a list to the Corinthians. We read this, this passage last week. We're going to read it again. This is a very important proof of the resurrection. I just want to read it first. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, a place he had previously visited. And he says, For when I was back there when I was with you, I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received. So here's the gospel according to Paul. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to a whole bunch of people. He appeared to Peter or Cephas. He appeared to the rest of the 12 disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 of the other disciples at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have passed away or fallen asleep. Then Jesus appeared to James, Jesus' half-brother. Then to all of the apostles, last of all, as though to one born at the wrong time, Paul says he appeared to me also. So here is a list in writing of people who claimed to have been visited by the resurrected Jesus. Just in this list, there's at least like 520 people. Here's why this, this tells us the resurrection of Jesus did not grow as some legend like Paul Bunyan stories or Johnny Appleseed stories. Those things take hundreds of years to catch on in a culture. This is extremely early. This is immediate. Here's how we know. Every scholar that I know of, whether they're a Christian, an atheist, a Muslim, or whatever, agrees that the apostle Paul, this was a real person. He wrote the letters that we have in the Bible that it claimed to be written by him. And they know he, he lived, he was a contemporary of Jesus. 1 Corinthians is dated by all accounts. This was written within 25 years of the cross of Jesus Christ. But what Paul is saying here is dated even earlier than that. Okay, here's how we know. Paul doesn't write to the Corinthians and say this is new information. Here I am 23 years about 
after Jesus was crucified, and here's all the people he received, uh, he appeared to. It's not what Paul says. Look right here. Paul says, back years ago when I was in Corinth the first time, I was already telling you Jesus appeared to all these people. So Paul wrote this 23 years-ish after the cross, but what he writes is, years ago, you know, I was already giving you a list of people who are alive, who say they saw the resurrected Jesus. Here's another way Christianity gets cut off at the knees. Paul, Paul can't put that in writing if he hadn't already been saying that before, and if there weren't at least 522 people running around claiming to have seen Jesus alive. And those people, those people get executed, get soaked in pitch and lit on fire by the Romans when the Romans turn up the heat. They get exiled. This isn't a legend that started years and years and years later. Immediately after Jesus' resurrection, people spread out all over the known world saying Jesus is alive. Another piece of evidence for the resurrection is the change that took place in the lives of the people who were just on that list. Jesus' followers were mainly, they were regular dudes. They were fishermen, like one was a tax collector. We don't know what the rest really did, but regular Galilean guys. When Jesus was killed, they were cowards, they were hiders, they were hiding, right? Something happened that took those regular men and made them be willing to die for spreading something that, and here's the kicker, they either knew was true or a lie. Here's why that's important. Is Christianity the only faith that people are willing to die for? No. There are people who are willing to fly jetliners into buildings for a different religion. Right? But here's the difference. People can be convinced of all kinds of stuff today. But these original believers, this was not a story to them. This wasn't even faith to them. This was something they say they saw. That list of people, they all claimed the Apostle Paul said it over and over and over again. I met Jesus after he was dead and he came back to life. And those people were willing to be executed for something that they knew was either true or they knew it was a lie. That's very convincing to me. And something Something happened to change Jesus' friends from being scare, scaredy cats who ran away and for good reason to people who would change the entire world 
and launch a religion that spread like wildfire. Can you really believe they would, they would go through what they went through for something they absolutely would have known was truth or a lie? Because you can't claim I saw Jesus without being, telling the truth or lying. I'm telling you, I believe it, and here's why. But these guys saw it. And it wasn't just his friends. In that list, there's one skeptic listed, and there's one enemy of Jesus Christ listed. I'll start with the enemy first. A guy, uh, his Hebrew name was Saul of Tarsus, was either a, a member of the Sanhedrin, or he was the disciple of one of the members of the Sanhedrin. We know him best as the apostle Paul. But his first career, he was Saul the Christian hunter. He wanted to eradicate Christianity. He breathed fire against the church. He, he had, under Jewish authority, he jailed men, women, and children who believed in the way in Christianity. Something changed Saul of Tarsus into the greatest missionary for Jesus Christ the world has ever seen. Under oath in Roman court, Paul said what changed me was Jesus Christ appeared to me and told me he had chose me to take the good news of his death, burial, and resurrection to the Gentiles. Paul told that story over and over and over and over. And again, he knew either that's true or that's a lie. Paul spent years in prison. He was shipwrecked a number of times. He was beaten. And ultimately, history tells us he was executed by beheading. Again, something turned an enemy into a missionary, and into a willing martyr. To me, the only logical explanation is he really saw Jesus. There was one skeptic listed in 1 Corinthians 15. His name was James. This is not the disciple James, you know, the apostle who's the first one to be, be, to be executed in the book of Acts. Not that James. This James was Jesus' brother. I'll say Jesus' half-brother because I really believe Jesus was born of a virgin. But Joseph and Mary had other kids, one of whom was named James. During James' life, if you look in Mark chapter 3, James did not believe that Jesus was the Christ and the Son of God. James thought his brother Jesus was a little nuts. James thought, as you would think your brother was nuts if he started claiming to be Christ and the Son of God. James and his mom tried to convince Jesus to leave the mission field. Come back home. You're embarrassing us. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is God? Because that's what happened to James. James, in history, do you know what James becomes? James becomes, we might call it the pastor, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. That's what his job became. He was a Galilean fisherman who didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ and Son of God. Fast forward 10 years, and he is the leader of the church in Jerusalem, which during his lifetime was the epicenter of persecution against the church. 
These were people that were so poor, the church in Jerusalem, that offerings were backward in that day. The Apostle Paul traveled around on his missionary journeys collecting an offering. You know what the offering was for? The home church didn't collect offerings to support the missionaries. Paul, the missionary, had to collect an offering to take back to Jerusalem. Why? Because the Christians were so persecuted, they couldn't do business, they couldn't have jobs, they were broke, they were busted. James was the leader of that impoverished group of beat-up people because he was willing to say, my brother is God. <laughs> like my brother died, was crucified, was buried, and then he showed up to me again, and now I call myself a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe the evidence of what happened to Jesus' body, the best, most logical explanation is that Jesus Christ actually rose from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the best explanation, just by way of summary, for why that tomb was empty. If he didn't get out, what else happened? What else could have happened? His friends had no motivation to steal it. His enemies absolutely wouldn't have stolen it. It had to go somewhere. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the best explanation for all of the eyewitnesses who claim to have seen Jesus alive when it was so dangerous to claim to have seen Jesus alive. You didn't get anything out of it. It's not like today. Today, if you have some supernatural experience, you know, you might, you, you might be on talk shows. You'll write a bestseller. It might be great. Back then, it'd get you killed. Same thing, it's the best explanation for why Jesus' original followers were willing to die for claiming to have met the resurrected Jesus. It's the best explanation for why some of Jesus' skeptics and enemies became leaders in the early Christian movement. And the resurrection of Jesus is the best explanation for the incredible, explosive growth of a movement that's based on such a supernatural claim. This is not one guy in a cave claiming to have seen God creating a religion that benefits him in power and wealth and military victories. This is a bunch of people independently claiming to have seen the same risen Savior willing to die for that claim. And think how, just think of trying to start a new religion. How ridiculous does that sound? A bunch of fishermen and a former tax collector and a former Christian hunter and a half-brother of a crazy guy started a religion that's still spreading around the world. The best explanation for why that started is because the Lord Jesus Christ did not stay in that tomb. He really did rise from the dead. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for the proof of the resurrection. Thank you for, the, for showing that, that you have the power over sin and death. Thank you that you put sin to death on the cross and you raised Jesus to life to prove that it had been true. 
And we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's a, it seems like it might be a strange fit to celebrate, like, Advent, and we just celebrated sort of Easter, and now we're going to do Good Friday. We're going to do communion. But it really is perfect. Because what we're going to celebrate this morning is, if I got that scripture up there on the screen, Jeff, in that, uh, in that one, what we're going to celebrate this morning is the cross. We're going to remember what Jesus did uh, on the cross to save us from our sins. I believe that happened. I believe it's true. But if it wasn't for the resurrection, if it wasn't for what we just studied, I don't think any of us would have ever heard that this was true because Christianity doesn't get off the ground. The cross is where you were saved. The cross is where God's wrath you deserve was poured out. And the resurrection is what lets us know that was actually true, that it actually happened. So what we're going to do this morning is in the back of our minds with the confidence of knowing that it's all true, we're going to remember what the Lord Jesus did for us at the cross. I'm going to pray for the bread while the guys come forward to help me hand it out. Heavenly Father, as the, as the bread comes around, we remember what the Lord Jesus um, with, sort of withstood. What he succumbed to was the wrath I deserved and we all deserved for our sin that you poured out on him. We remember in Jesus' name. Amen.